Join me if you would in Jeremiah chapter 42 as we get started. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are this morning in Jeremiah chapter 42. We are within 10 chapters of the end. There are 52 chapters in uh, in Jeremiah. And so after today, there is 10 more chapters to go, which we have to have to have to cover in the next 11 weeks. And so there's not much margin for error, especially as I've given away a, uh, an 11 o'clock hour. Only one. Uh, Hugh Crowder will be here, but I asked him if he would do the 930 hour instead of the 11 o'clock hour in, uh, for the Sunday that Hugh Crowder will be joining us in March. I am uh, anxious to wrap up Jeremiah to do so before the Kiev trip, and I leave for Kiev in April. So um, rather than leave it hanging with uh, you know coming back with one chapter to cover after a three-week span, I think it would be better to wrap it up before I leave. And actually, the Sunday I do depart, because it's an afternoon flight out of here at 4 o'clock. Uh, so I can wrap up Jeremiah, then go get on a plane, and then come back. And uh, three Sundays later, then we can introduce uh, the book of Hebrews. And I'm looking forward to Hebrews very much and, and the blessings that come with the book of Hebrews. But for this morning, we've got to cover chapter 42. It's a fun chapter for pastors because uh, it deals with um, people who promise to do what they're told. And uh, the promise, of course, is a lie. They have no intention to do what they're told. They have no intention to listen to what the Lord says. Although they, uh, they're pretty uh, blatant about it up front, saying, whatever he tells you, this we will do. And uh, they become the heirs, I think, of the generation that received Mosaic law. Because when Moses gave them the Mosaic covenant, they agreed. And they said, whatever the Lord tells us, this we will do. And they entered into the conditional covenant at Mount Sinai. And we'll see something very similar happening, uh, happening here. All right, let's open the word of prayer, ask the Father to sanctify our thinking, to bless our recording, and to uh, otherwise bless our time together this morning. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before your throne of grace this morning, unworthy, completely unworthy, and yet made worthy. You impute to us the righteousness of your Son and Father, it is on that basis, in His name, in His standing, that we have any privilege to even be here. And yet here we are, boldly approaching the throne of grace, presenting ourselves before You as workmen, needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, Father, we call upon Your faithfulness this morning to set aside the distractions, to, uh, to shape our thinking, to guide us into the truth. I thank You, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, chapter 42, and uh, you recall what happened last week is Gedaliah was uh, assassinated, and I uh, call him gullible, gullible Gedaliah. Um, I don't know, our president calls people names, and so I, well, I like it. Uh, we can call people names. And he was gullible because back in chapter 41, he was told, or in chapter 40 even, he was told uh, who the assassin was and who he was working for. And then all of this, I don't know how much more clear you can get when you're told that Ishmael, the son of uh, Nethanel, I think, or whoever this guy is, he's working for the king of uh, the Ammonites and he is here to kill you. And Gedaliah doesn't believe it. 
So Gullible get a liar, and he's going to pay the price. And he did pay the price. And that's what we dealt with last week. And then in the aftermath of that, Ishmael got greedy and tried to uh, take some uh, some women captive and some prisoners and and uh, to be able to add uh, the plunder and uh, some of his financial uh, well-being. And uh, anyway, it, it backfired. He didn't didn't was not able to escape. And uh, there's a hero in that chapter named Johanan or Johanan, um, and uh, he uh, succeeded in rescuing the captives. And uh, he took them to a hideout named. Kimham and uh, or Kimham there at the end of chapter 41. They went and they stayed in Garuth Kimham, which is beside Bethlehem, in order to proceed into Egypt. And so this is the hideout. This is the location. And from here, they're going to gather their supplies and they're going to uh, make the, the travel arrangements and, and plan how it is if you're uh, if you're leading a group of people uh, and, and running from soldiers. Uh, how is it that you're going to make your escape? From uh, from Bethlehem down into Egypt, and uh, all the the uh, things that come into that. All right, so that's where it ended uh, last week, and so now we're ready to move on. And we see, well, somebody gets a bright idea and says, you know what, we should pray about this before we go anywhere. We should uh, probably, you know, uh, see if maybe the Lord might have some advice for us, right? Which would have been really a smart thing to do last chapter or the chapter before, or, you know, for for gullible Gedaliah to, to you know inquire of the Lord and see is this is this assassination danger is it real is is uh, you know you got the opportunity to inquire of the Lord do so get get the answers back and so this is what happens here at the beginning. Uh, Yohanan, the son of Korea is going to lead a delegation to uh, Jeremiah. By the way, we don't know where he is. He was missing last week. Jeremiah is not mentioned in that chapter, uh, directly, indirectly, or otherwise. Uh, He is absent in chapter 41. It's the first chapter where we have a a notable absence on on Jeremiah. There's a couple more coming up between here and the end of the book. But uh, so uh, let's read in verse one, all the commanders of the forces, Johanan, the son of Korea, Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people, both small and great, approached. Approached where? Approached who? Approached Jeremiah, wherever he is. And they said to Jeremiah the prophet, please let our petition come before you and pray for us to the Lord your God. Notice, <laughs> yeah, you've got a pretty good God there, Jeremiah. Um, would you mind asking him if he'll help us out? the Lord your God, that is, for all this remnant, because we are left but a few out of many, as your own eyes now see us. And they view this as a problem when, in many cases through the Scriptures, a remnant is the ideal, that God will work faithfully through a remnant after He's already administered the judgment to the larger crowd that needed to become a remnant. And uh, here is what we're, we're looking at here in this circumstance. Uh, Verse 3, that the Lord your God, again, your God, may tell us the way in which we should walk and the thing that we should do. And so this is their first approach. Now, Jeremiah will have an answer for them in verse 4. He only gets one verse in the midst of this paragraph. And then they are going to continue in verses 5 and 6. So let's look at Jeremiah's single verse here. The Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I'm going to pray to the Lord. Notice what he says. He turns it around. I'm going to pray to the Lord, your God. Okay. Jeremiah says, look, he's not just my God. He's your God. Also, he's our God. We are Israel. We are the covenant nation. 
So I've heard you. Behold, I'm going to pray to the Lord your God in accordance with your words, and I will tell you the whole message which the Lord will answer you. I will not keep back a word from you. And that's a fascinating admission as well, I think, in some respects. Um, as far as what a false prophet might do, what a, uh, what a, even a, a, not necessarily a false prophet, but even, even a true prophet who was somehow nervous about delivering what, uh, what the Lord says, right? It is a faith test for a true prophet to stand and say, thus saith the Lord, and then to have something really unpleasant come out. It, uh, it's very much a temptation for all these guys, Isaiah, Daniel, any of these guys, that when they get something unpleasant, they have to, by faith, deliver it. You, you dig it up and you dish it out. And that's, that's true for church-age pastors today and all these principles. You have to teach the whole counsel of the Word of God. And if there's something that you omit, if there's something you're afraid of or you're embarrassed about or you're just not comfortable dealing with, well then, yes, you're hurting your flock, but you're also hurting yourself. Because God intends for his people to be warned over these things. And if you don't warn them, the blood's on your hands. Jesus is coming after you for being faithless in your, in your responsibilities. And uh, thankfully here, uh, Jeremiah is very faithful. So he says, you're going to get it. You're going to get it straight from the mouth of the Lord through my mouth. And, and I'm not hiding anything from you guys. And that's his word there in verse four. And that's the only word that he gets in this opening paragraph. Because the delegation had the first few verses. They also have verse five and six. And read, read what they say here. Read with me as I read it. And for a moment, just allow yourself the privilege of, uh, of believing it, okay, while they say it. Because if it's true, if they really mean it, it's a beautiful, beautiful statement. And we want to believe it, okay? So forget that you know in hindsight that they're, they're lying through their teeth, all right? They don't believe a word of this. All right, so verse 5. Then they said to Jeremiah, may the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us. If we do not act in accordance with the whole message with which the Lord, your God, see they're back to that again. The Lord, your God will send you to us, whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, <laughs> right? Whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, we will listen to the voice of the Lord. Now they got it. Our God to whom we are sending you, so that it may go well with us when we listen to the voice of the Lord our God. All right, man, I love that. Okay? In fact, we could just end the chapter there and be happy, preach a good message. Um, but it doesn't end there, and they, uh, they don't like the answer that comes back. And, and really, it's the whole rest of the chapter is the answer that comes back from, uh, from verse 7 on. And it takes 10 days, by the way. We see that in verse 7, at the end of 10 days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So, I mean, how long does this take? Why, why 10 days? Why, um, you know, why not the same day? You know, why not? Can't you pay a little bit more and get same day service? You know, you, you brought the garment in before five. You ought to be able to get it back same day. Um, why do you got to wait till Monday after five? Or why do you got to wait 10 days? Why do you got to wait for, for the delay on some of these things? Well, you know, why not 30 days? Why not 60 days? What was the, I think God in his graciousness uh, programmed into here a delay that was long enough to make the point, but not too long where they just bail on Jeremiah and, and, and run and uh, damage their own accountability in, uh, in the process. So at the end of 10 days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and he calls for Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces that were with him. 
and for all the people, both small and great. And he's going to say to them, thus says the Lord God. All right. Now, before I get to those aspects, I got some points of study here. We want to glean some things here out of verses one through six. The delegation calls Yahweh and it's Yahweh through the whole chapter. Every time you have Lord, I'm reading from the New American Standard. So anytime you have Lord and it's in all caps, uh, where the O-R-D is small caps and the L is a larger capital L, but they're all caps. Uh, anytime you have that in the New American Standard Bible and many of our modern English translations, you know that it's Yahweh is the Hebrew text that's underneath that term Lord. And uh, the delegation calls Yahweh Jeremiah's Elohim. He is your God. He is your Elohim. All right. And in, in this, you know, we're not doing a lot of exegesis or Hebrew in this study, but here I think it's vital that we recognize this because there's a lot of Elohim in the world, uh, false gods. Uh, the nations all have their Elohim, uh, but God is the one true Elohim. He is the one that uses the Elohim plural as a singular noun to reference himself as opposed to all the other phony Elohim that are out there. And so um, Yahweh is uh, Jeremiah's Elohim. See, is, not are, because it's singular, the singular Elohim. The one and only Lord God of Israel is Yahweh Elohim. And uh, they stress that in verse 3 and in verse 5, but Jeremiah turns it around. And Jeremiah declares Yahweh to be their Elohim as well. And he does that in verse 4, we've already seen. Uh, verse 13, we haven't seen yet. But again, it's Jeremiah speaking and he's addressing them. And he says, Yahweh, your Elohim. Also, verses 20 and 21. It's uh, uh, Jeremiah speaking, saying, Yahweh, your Elohim. Yahweh, your Elohim. You have not obeyed Yahweh, your Elohim. See, and so it's being stressed over and over again. Jeremiah says, not just my Elohim, he's your Elohim. He loves you. You are a covenant people. And we and this is uh, this is vital. Uh, the delegation does on at least these occasions acknowledge the shared Elohim as their heritage in Israel. Uh, we've already seen verse six where they finally switch to the our uh, use, the voice of Yahweh, our Elohim. Uh, they do so again in verse nine. Uh, where it's the Lord God of Israel. He is Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel. It's a shared heritage in Israel. Verse 15 as well. And uh, where he's Yahweh Tzibayoth, the Lord of hosts, the Elohim of Israel. And that's why uh, they, uh, they can be confident that he's got a handle on this because he's the Lord God of hosts. He is the Yahweh Tzibayoth. And uh, if there's an army chasing you, you want Yahweh Tzibayoth on your side. And because uh, he beats any army. Uh, verse 18 and verse 20 as well. We have uh, the Yahweh, the Elohim of, uh, of Israel. So thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. And, and this reminder here. And it's, it's, it's interesting to consider this. And we get the same thing, by the way. Have you ever have an unbeliever uh, ask you to pray about something? You know, uh, an unbeliever or maybe a, a saved non-churchgoer or somebody, your coworker or the neighborhood or whatever. And they say, hey, uh, you know, you, 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 have, you go to church, don't you? <laughs> you know, don't you have a God somewhere? Can, could, could you ask him to, to help me? <laughs> and, and so it's, to me, I don't know, those, those are occasions in which you can, you, you can testify and you can witness and you can discuss spiritual matters because 
you know, if they're desperate enough to ask for prayer, then something's going on. And, you know, maybe there's an open door there. But still, there's a part of me that gets a little bit amused where, really? You mean you, you kind of ignore God most of the time. What, what, what's up with it now? And you don't love him. You don't trust him. You don't believe he exists. But you want me to, you want me to, to ask him for something? Should I ask the Easter Bunny, too, while I'm at it? Should I ask Santa Claus while I'm at it? Any other fictional characters you want me to ask? You know, why are you asking me to pray to my God? And uh, if you want to really understand it, he's your God, too. Because he is the Lord God. He's the creator of heaven and earth. And he sent his son to die for your sins. And we got an opportunity to uh, to discuss those matters. But as that may be. There's a Bible I recommend. It's kind of interesting. Uh, Logos has it. Uh, I have not seen it in print. Um, it's, it's a translation that's called The Scriptures. Right? And so, well, that gets your attention. Um, it's uh, copyright 2000 by the Institute for Scripture Research. It's a company out of South Africa of all places, but they uh, they have a translation called The Scriptures. And uh, I find it to be a remarkable English Bible translation because it has a significant Hebrew transliterations. And, and it, it, they, this is their philosophy of translation. They prefer to transliterate many expressions instead of trying to find an English equivalent. And so when they do that, it really spotlights a lot of these uh, Elohim references in, in this chapter. And uh, so I can bring it up for you. And I can make it large enough to read. Even the back row commandos ought to do all right with some of these. And also, they they transliterate a lot of the names of God. They translate a lot of the names of of, of the people, the humans. Uh, they use Yahweh. They use a tetragrammaton for uh, for Yahweh uh, without the vowels. They just use the consonants Y H W H, and uh, and you see that there. So. Um, so anytime you spot those uh, Hebrew letters there, I mean, it just jumps out the page at you. You can't help but spot it because it's so uh, so uh, uh, bold as it, as it jumps out at you. So as we look at this, all the commanders of the army and Yohanan, the son of Kareach, and Yazaniah, the son of Hoshaya, and, all, and it also helps in your Hebrew pronunciation if they transliterate that way. And uh, from the least to the greatest, came near and said to Yirmiyahu. Remember that? I had told you that way back when we introduced the book. Oh, I'm not going to do that. But on the on the splash slide there, that the the the, the best pronunciation of Jeremiah is "You're my Yahoo," okay? "You're my Yahoo," and we see it there. So uh, they said to "You're my Yahoo," the prophet. We beg you, let our petition be acceptable to you, and pray for us to Yahweh, your Elohim. And so when there are different terms for God, sometimes it's El, sometimes it's Eloah, sometimes it's Elohim, uh, oftentimes it's Elohim, uh, it, it renders it with the, the, that expression instead of just the general God that shows up in, in most every other English translation. And so as you scan down through this text, I mean, they just jump out at you again and again. Let Yahweh, your Elohim, show us. And uh, Yirmiyahu, the prophet, said to them, I have heard, see, I'm praying to Yahweh, your Elohim, according to your words. It shall be that I declare to you all the word. If Yahweh answers you, I withhold not a word from you. Anyway, I, uh, I enjoy this. I pull it up occasionally and uh, happy to have it in, uh, in Lagos. All right. The petitioners dominate these verses. 
with Jeremiah's only lonely verse right there in the middle. All right. And it's kind of interesting the way that it's composed, the way that it's written in this in this way uh, to to give all of these um, verses from the perspective of the petitioners, the people without any faith that are begging for help. And they get the, the predominant uh, coverage as far as the words that are recorded here. Jeremiah just gets the, that only lonely uh, verse all in the middle uh, by himself there in verse 4. And um, that too, I think, becomes a pattern for some things we ought to consider. If, uh, if we're supposed to be slow to speak and quick to hear, if, uh, if you know, we, we can make our request known and then let it go, wait and listen for the response, yeah, how much better would it be if there was a single verse with a request, and then let's listen to let's listen to the full response. And and uh, so I think the better pattern uh, is not being followed here early in the chapter, and so God steps in and dominates the rest of the chapter from verse seven to twenty-two, where they really get it hammered verse after verse after verse after verse with a with a very long "Thus saith the Lord" message that they don't want to hear. They absolutely don't want to hear it. All right, and so. You know, um, this too, I think, may be a pattern for us in our prayer meetings as we make our requests known when we're going to study in Philippians to be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then what? We're done. We've given it to him. We let him reply. We let him answer. We stop and see. We stand fast and watch the, the deliverance of the Lord. And it's a beautiful pattern that we have. Well, um, anyway, these some some aspects here that I find interesting. Um, the closing affirmations of this petition, that is the beautiful verses there in five and six, uh, they are readily adapted to church application every time we present ourselves approved. You know, we can read verse five and verse six. These verses could be a prayer every time we open a Bible class. Right. We can say, uh, you know, the Lord is a witness against us, a faithful witness against us. If we do not act in accordance with the whole message with which the Lord your God will send you to us. You know, understand we're here today assembled in the name of Jesus Christ, receiving instruction. He has a message for us. This is the message from the Lord to us. And are we accountable? You bet we're accountable. To whom much is given shall much be required. We are accountable. And we, we present ourselves before him, not as um, spectators, right? Not as spectators listening to learn something, but workmen needing not to be ashamed. So we listen not just to learn something, but in learning what we learn, we're going to put it to use in the work that he's called us to do. We present ourselves before him as workmen needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And how many people come to Bible class with no intention to do any kind of work at all? They're just here to spectate. They're just here to listen, just here to listen and learn and whatever. And, and, and that's great. I'm glad you're learning something. But you're supposed to do something with what you're learning. You're a workman who needs not to be ashamed. So what kind of work are you doing with what Yahweh is giving us? And then again, verse 6, whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, <laughs> you know, Ooh, you know, certain messages and you think, wow, man, pastor must be out of fellowship today. Okay. <laughs> to my knowledge, I've never preached out of fellowship. I've never stood in the pulpit in carnality. That's why we have longer silent prayers sometimes to, to start. <laughs> to start a Bible class. If a computer crashes, for example. 
We've got to stop and reorient and say, wait a minute. All right. So, whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, we will listen to the voice of the Lord our God. The voice of Yahweh, our Elohim. Because that's not Jeremiah getting personal with us. That's the Lord our God. That's not Pastor Bob up on a hobby horse. That's the Lord our God. And we are here in the name of the Lord God. And so, uh, and when you call him to witness, you know, when you close your prayer in Jesus' name, guess what you've just done? You've just called Jesus Christ, God the Son, as witness against you to God the Father if you are faithless in your vow, in your request. And so uh, we will listen to the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you so that it may go well with us when we listen, when we listen to the voice of the Lord our God. And so, yes, we can readily adapt that and ought to adapt that for why we're here today. And so many hymns that address that, you know, Lord, speak to speak to me, right? Speak to us. Breathe on me, breath of God. How many hymns are about the Holy Spirit illuminating truth that we're about to partake in? Many of our hymns uh, address that. All right. Now for the rest of this, after 10 days of prayer, Jeremiah returns with the Lord's message. And um, I already said, you know, why was it 10 days? Why couldn't it be shorter? Why couldn't it be longer? What's the, what's the length of time? What's God's wisdom to answer? Not too soon, not too long. All right. Um, God uses these waiting periods uh, to instruct. He uses delay in order to strengthen faith or to expose lack of faith. Um, there's uh, there's other aspects too by which uh, the, just the nature of prayer itself is beyond humanity. We think about how we enter into omniscience and we enter into omnipotence and we enter into omnipresence. You know, in, in, in a single prayer time, you can go from here to Ukraine and back, and and uh, you know, you talk about omnipresence. Think about all over the planet, we can be there in prayer right here, right now, and omniscience. How many times do you pray for things that you don't fully know? what to ask for, what the answer is, what the solution is. You don't know a lot about it. All you know is what you know, and, and that's what you pray about. And then you leave it to the Holy Spirit who intercedes on our behalf with the groanings too deep for understanding. And so every time you pray, it's as if you're entering into God's omniscience. Because you don't know it all, but God does. And so by prayer, you enter into His, omni- his omniscience. You enter into His omnipresence. You enter into His omnipotence. Because what are you doing with prayer? You're moving the hand of God, are you not? We think about what God does in consequence to our prayers that He would not have done had we not prayed. And the Bible tells us that. See? And so all the attributes of God we get to enter into in, uh, in our prayer life. And so 10 days is uh, the aspect there. You know, we prayed, how long did we pray for Pastor Dan and the, the church vote there in Corpus Christi? You know, more than 10 days. Uh, we were praying for months. And, uh, and now it's, it's a reality. If you missed that email, uh, check your email more often. All right? Um, business meeting next week, right? We don't make announcements, but check your email. And so, how long do we pray for these things? How long does it take? In this case, it was 10 days. All right. So he calls for Yohanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders, the forces both small and great. All right. And he says to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. If you will indeed stay in this land, 
Then I will build you up and not tear you down, and I will plant you and not uproot you, for I will relent concerning the calamity that I have inflicted on you. Now notice, this is often we think of this as language of accommodation, but this is still a true statement. The God who cannot lie is saying these things that he will respond to their act of faith if they demonstrate a, a faith, right? If they remain there as a, as a testimony to their faith. And, and that's a big step. Because, you know, the governor was assassinated and Nebuchadnezzar was going to come back with an army. And, and so for them to stay there, to trust the voice of the Lord is a huge step of faith. And Yahweh says he will bless that. He will honor that. If you indeed stay in this land. And uh, he says, do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you are now fearing. <laughs> Notice how the answer has a whole lot more detail than the question had. All right. The answer uh, exposes some of the fears, some of the motivation, some of the thought process. Okay. You know, it's the same thing when the Lord answered Abraham's prayer. Abraham prayed six times at Sodom. Not once did he say, Lord, save Lot. <laughs> right. He said, if there's 50 there, if there's 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. And he never said, he finally stopped praying when he kind of gambled that there might be 10 believers in the city. But never once did he say, Lord, I've got a nephew there. His name is Lot. He's kind of a knucklehead. Can you get him out? Can you help him? Abraham never mentioned Lot, not once in his prayers. And yet, what does the scripture say? When the prayer is done and the Lord walks off or Abraham walks off, and then it's, the scripture says, and the Lord remembered Lot for the sake of Abraham. And it's a testimony there that in the answer to these prayers, there's a lot of motivation that gets exposed that maybe wasn't said out loud, maybe wasn't recorded in the Bible, but it's pretty clear when the Bible records the answer that's given that that's where the, that's where the desire was. That's where the heart was. So come right out with it. I mean, you're not fooling God anyway. What are you trying to do? Manipulate something? You don't want to ask for this because you think, well, Lot doesn't really deserve it. So let me let me let me recast it as if, you know, there's probably 10 believers there. You don't want to wipe out 10 believers, do you? And he's really just dancing around the whole thing. We're not we're not bargaining with God in our prayer life. Just ask for what you're asking for. All right, well. And uh, so don't be afraid of, of the king of Babylon, whom you are now fearing. Do not be afraid of him. See, guess what? He's a believer now. <laughs> okay, we've had a fiery furnace. We've had a we've had a, a, a big statue. We've had these things, and Nebuchadnezzar gets saved, and he's got the prophet Daniel working next to him, and you guys got the prophet Jeremiah next to you. This can work out. Just walk by faith. Um, well, I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand, to save you and deliver you. Two synonyms for salvation. And, and uh, it's interesting how often we ignore the one because, you know, that spiritual thing is, you know, we just want rescue. We want, we want our problems fixed. We want uh, financial rescue and political rescue and military rescue and all this earthly stuff. The real salvation is in the spiritual realm. All right. And I will also show you compassion so that he will come, will have compassion on you and restore you to your own soil. The marvelous answer to prayer is going to come from the hand of the Lord, but he's going to use Nebuchadnezzar as his servant. And he's going to lift up Nebuchadnezzar to reflect the compassion of Yahweh. 
So Nebuchadnezzar gets an opportunity to have Yahweh's compassion. Man, there's a marvelous answer here. All right. Well, we know from the New Testament, of course, that God knows what we need before we even ask. Right? Matthew 6, 8. Do we have to turn there? You know the passage? God knows what we need before we even ask. God is not absent-minded. He's not forgetful. We're not... You know, we do remind him, but we're not reminding him because he's forgotten it. He's omniscient and he knows all things. But we're reminding him because this is the procedure he has designed for us to glorify him and to reject that counterfeit. Satan wants to be the counterfeit father. Satan has a beloved son he's about to unleash upon this planet. Satan has a plan, a program with, a, with an antichrist. Satan is going to put himself up as an anti father. And he loves it when his children go to him for provision. And so I love going to the real father for provision. I love asking God the Father in the name of the, of the Son, the power of the Holy Spirit. And every time I do, it's like a big thumb in the eye to that serpent saying, you're not my father. And what nothing you have to offer me, I don't want any of it. My provision, my priorities, my leadership, everything comes from my heavenly father. And that's, pleasing in our Father's sight. It's glorifying in our Father's sight. And we're delighted to do this. Now, the message of this chapter is interesting because it says um, God knows not only what we need before we ask, God also knows what we intend before we fake ask. (laughs) He knows what we intend before we even fake ask with the wrong motivations. Okay? Because you can put on a show and you can impress people and you can hide what you're really thinking by what you're saying, but God sees through all of that. And if you can pray, you know, well, I'll do this or I'll do that, you know, uh, do you mean it or are you lying? Say, is there a girl you want to marry? And you're asking, well, you know, Lord, if, if this could be your will, then be careful there. Because I believe you and I, and I'll just preach to myself this morning, we, I, we use words sometimes and we use them so often, sometimes we develop a habit of using them without thinking about them. And how many times, I mean, is it just so easy to just start rolling off your lips, dear Heavenly Father, and because you're just in a prayer mode and that's how you start. And then you, you ask for something and then you roll it off your lips, you know, if it could be your will. Because you've done it a thousand times in the past, but are you really thinking it through? Are we really saying if it could be your will, if it is your will? And if it's not your will, finish the thought. If it's not your will, I don't want it. If I am in danger of stepping out of your will, then overrule. Close that door. Close it hard because I'm kind of thick. I want to I want it closed so hard that even a dummy like me can say, you know, I think that's a closed door. <laughs> All right. And. Uh, the worst thing you could do, though, is fake ask. Say, well, you know, I'll do this, I'll do this. You know, because the truth is, you made up your mind already. You absolutely made up your mind already. So if you get the answer you want, you'll say, praise Jesus, and you go and do, you think you're in the will of God. You're just doing what you want to do in the first place. And if you don't get the answer you want, what do you do? Well, yeah, you deny it. You say, well, he hasn't answered yet. I'm still waiting. Well, okay. Well, I haven't seen the answer yet. Well, Man, I think it's an answer. 
And all you're doing is listening for what you want to hear. And then sometimes you convince yourself you heard it. Oh, that was it, wasn't it? I heard that. Okay. You're lying to yourself. And God's not fooled. So, um, you know, James 4 deals with this. James 4, verses 2 and 3. And I think it's what we have here. Let me see what we see here. I mean, glance down to verse 20. All the way down to verse 20. The Lord says here, for you have only deceived yourselves. <laughs> you know, I wasn't fooled. Yahweh said I wasn't fooled. You have only deceived yourselves, for it is you who sent me to the Lord your God. So Jeremiah here, um, he wasn't fooled. It is you who sent me to the Lord your God, saying, pray for us to the Lord our God. And whatever the Lord our God says, tells us so, we will also do. He says, you were lying. You were lying when you said it. So I have told you today, but you have not obeyed the Lord your God. You have not obeyed. Your mind is made up. This choice was made a long time ago. Your mind was done made up before you even approached in verse 1. You knew what you were going to do. All right. James chapter 4. You're familiar with James? Hebrews, James. James chapter 4. All right. Thank you. Got a neat little bulletin insert there. Very handy to mark my place in Jeremiah. Again, we don't make announcements anymore, but there is a bulletin insert. All right. James 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You know, if, if there's struggle in the, in the flock, why is that? The Holy Spirit doesn't promote that. The Spirit promotes unity. What does the flesh promote? <laughs> well, yeah, it's the flesh at work. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Is that the answer? You have a want, and it's a, it's a powerful enough want. We can call it a lust. And, uh, and whatever you have to do to get it, even murder, that's fine. Do what you got to do to get it. You are envious and cannot obtain. Murder didn't work. Now what? So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, we could stop there and we could preach it and we could talk about prayer and how the Father knows what we need before we ask. But what happens when we, we don't ask and we don't have? But then what happens when we do ask and we still don't get it? Well, it's because you're asking and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You ask with wrong motives. Father, please, 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 please let me win the lottery. Please, please, please. <laughs> 400 million. And then you start to bargain. You know, Austin Bible Church gets 10%. And, uh, <laughs> and you, you start bargaining. You know, please, Jesus, I'll do this. I'll do that. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. See, prosperity theology gets it wrong. If you just ask believing, you get it. Well, why do you believe that? Why are you persuaded that your faith is in the right object? Because you're not pistuoing as the Bible defines pistuo, and you're not being pathoed in the way the Bible defines patho. Okay? Flashback from last hour. Sorry about that. Um, so here it is. Fake asking with the wrong motivations. Fake asking. Okay? And uh, so there it is. 
You know, well, I want to marry him, but he's not saved. And well, maybe he'll get saved. Well, you know it's not the will of God to marry an unbeliever. What are you doing? Well, I can change him. Wait a minute. What are you doing? What are you doing? All right. If this person's not saved, that's not who God's designed for you. Anyway, different applications there. If you're asking with the wrong motive so that you may spend it on your pleasures, you know, the, the purpose for answering prayer is to please Him and glorify His Son. Not necessarily to satisfy your lust or your pleasures or your wants and, and so forth. Believe it or not, God is not here to make you happy. Okay? You can, there's great happiness in the will of God, but that's not His purpose. His purpose is to glorify His Son. So if you get on board with that purpose, you'll find some Makarios happiness there. But God did not create this universe to make us happy. There's heresy in 21st century American Christendom. All right. If you ever study uh, moralistic therapeutic deism, the five main points of, of churchianity today, um, that just destroyed one of those points because we're, God's here to make us happy. In, uh, in that philosophy. All right. Go back to the text then. Let's outline the second half into three parts because there's the if you stay here part. The if you stay here part. Then there's the but if you go to Egypt part <laughs> in verses 13 through 17. You want to outline it here? Outline it this way. Verses 7 through 12 is the if you stay here answer. And they weren't really asking that. <laughs> they, they, they didn't want to stay here. And then verses 13 through 17 is the if you go to Egypt answer, which is what they wanted to do and what they ended up doing after this chapter. They'll do it next week in chapter 43. And then uh, in verses 18 through 22, we have the not if but when statement uh, because it's not an if, it's a when. They've already made up their minds and it's going to happen. And so he changes from the if-if to the when you do, here's what you can expect. And that's uh, interesting as well. But let's start with the if you stay here promise. It's a great promise. I will show you compassion so that he will have compassion on you. We already read it in verse 12. God will show them compassion, but it comes through an instrument, a human instrument. It comes through the agency of King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is the same way that God always operates. It's the same way that we studied in 2 Corinthians. He is the God of comfort, right? The God of peace, the God, uh, mercies, the God of all, uh, Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. And He comforts us in every affliction so that we ourselves, we can extend that same comfort with which we ourselves are also comforted. God uses human agency to provide for these things. In the body of Christ, of course, it's us, the body of Christ. And I get to comfort you and you get to comfort me and this is how it works. And, and every time this happens, it's God that's doing it. God is the one that's the source of this comfort. Same thing here with the compassion. And I love this compassion. This compassion, the Hebrew on this is beautiful and it's ripped off. The Muslims steal this and it angers me. The Quran steals this. And so uh, in Arabic, you end up with people that are named Rahman and you end up with uh, uh, names of Allah that are that are Allah Rahman. You get Allah most compassionate. And it's just it's it's tragic because you read the Quran. I don't see compassion anywhere in, in Allah in the Quran. But that's one of the names there. And here it is here in the Hebrew. The, the true compassion is Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God of Israel. 
And He's going to extend compassion. And there's a whole doctrine there that can go with that. And how can this happen? <laughs> how can this happen? Babylonians have no compassion. And so you get an assumption and you believe that an answer can't be an answer. And boy, isn't that typical. How can this happen? Babylonians have no compassion. We've already seen twice in the book of Jeremiah that Babylonians have no compassion. You can go back to Jeremiah 6.23. You can go to Jeremiah 21.7. And you will see that Babylonians have no compassion. And yet here's God's promise. If you stay here, they will have compassion. I will be at work in Nebuchadnezzar and they will have compassion. And they don't believe it. They reject it. You get an answer to prayer and it just doesn't seem possible. Okay? You're like the priest Zecharias and Gabriel shows up and says, guess what? You and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. And Zecharias says, no, how's that possible? How can this be? I'm old and she's old and there's, there's no baby coming. Right? Or Gabriel shows up at the Virgin Mary and says, you're going to have a child. Now, in her case, she says, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. But she's asking in faith. She's not asking in doubt, like, how can this be? It can't be. She's asking, how can this be? It can be. God's going to make this happen. How is this going to happen? Anyway, their response here is, how can this be? Babylonians have no compassion. But God promised that they would. And then the, uh, if you go to Egypt. But if you go to Egypt... So, you know, choose ye this day <laughs> what, you, you know, what road you're going to take. You're at a fork in the road, right? What's it going to be? What's it going to be? You make the choice, and here's the consequences. If you go to Egypt, verses 13 through 17. So if you are going to say, we will not stay in this land so as to not listen to the voice of the Lord God, and there it is again, the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt where... Everything is just wonderful and blessings and the streets are paved with cheese. There are no cats in America, right? And all of the, all of the make-believe dreams of how wonderful everything is. Okay? Yeah, I mean, just think of a magical faraway place. All right. We will go to Egypt where we will not see war or hear the sound of a trumpet. See, not even wars or not even rumors of wars. We can't even hear the sound of a trumpet. Or hunger there for bread. Because man, that's the land of food. You just We eat like kings there in, in Egypt. We will stay there. That's where we will stay. It's also a dominant uh, verb throughout this chapter is, is shuv or yashav and the idea of turning and dwelling and remaining and staying. Um, anyway, we will stay there. Then in that case, here's the answer. Listen to the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. And remember, God is his omniscience covers every what if. God's omniscience covers whether they stay or whether they go. God's omniscience covers here's the consequences of this or that. And here's what God's actions are going to be based upon this or that. His plan is so comprehensive, it includes every reality and every potentiality. If it could potentially happen, God knows. Every detail. Well, if you do this, then um, thus says Yahweh Sivayoth, 
the Lord God of hosts, all right? Um, the God of Israel, if you really set your mind to enter Egypt and go to reside there, then the sword which you are afraid of will overtake you. You know, if you're running away from something, the very thing you're afraid of is going to come get you. God does that. God works that way. God teaches you to rest in Him. But if you abandon God because you're running from something, more often than not, in Scripture bears this out, that very thing you're running from, and worse, is going to come get you. The sword, which you're afraid of, will overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine, about which you're anxious, will follow closely after you there in Egypt. You will die there. You're terrified of a famine here? You think Egypt's got all the food? Well, guess what? There's not a Joseph down there in Egypt stockpiling food uh, for seven years. They're going to have a famine too. And war is coming right at you. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come conquer Egypt the way that he conquered Judah. And you are going to die there. So all the men who set, us, who set their mind, notice they've already set their mind. They're of a mindset and there they are. To go to Egypt to reside there will die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. They will have no survivors, no refugees from the calamity that I'm going to bring on them. So there's the if message there. The motivation to flee to Egypt centered on three things. We will not see war. We will not hear war approaching and we will not hunger. And, you know, you convince yourself that all you need is this and, and then everything's great. They did this at the Exodus. They did this in Exodus 16. They said, God brought us out here to the wilderness to kill us. We need to go back to Egypt where we have plenty of food. Or Numbers 11. They don't like the manna they've been given. We need to go back to Egypt where we really, we ate great things. And all of this stuff. And it's just insanity. All right? Exodus 16.3. find these pretty quickly. The whole congregation grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat. Wasn't that great? When we ate bread to the full. Boy, you remember those days? This is flat out delusional. They were slaves. They were slaves under bondage. They were groaning in Egypt. When we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out of the wilderness to kill us, uh, this whole assembly, with hunger. And this is when manna gets provided for them. But then they get sick of the manna. So they get the perfect provision in Exodus 16, and then we turn to Numbers 11 and we find out that they're sick of it. Isn't that something? God gives you the perfect provision and you're not content because there's something better. The grass is greener. You just need a different job. You need a different town. You need a different wife. You need a different whatever. And, and you can just abandon God's faithful provision because you think that this other thing is going to be better. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we used to eat free in Egypt. <laughs> the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Isn't that boring? The same perfect food every day. The same manna. Boring, 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 boring. Come on. Need some variety. Need some spice. 
not the same whatever, same old, same old, same job, same town, same house, same wife, same whatever. This, you know, we, back to the, back to the good old days. And you see how delusional it is. The very things they feared are the very things God will bring upon them. War, rumors of war, famine, all of it. Okay? They see it up close when it reaches. They hear it before it approaches with the sound of that trumpet. And they know what's coming. And there's no rescue. This crowd will die in Egypt. I suspect Jeremiah dies in Egypt because they kidnap him and take him with them. And then uh, he disappears from Old Testament history. We believe that he, he dies there in Egypt. So if you stay here, if you go, and then there's the not if, but when statement. <laughs> okay? The not if, but when statement. And so for the remainder of the chapter then, in verses 18 through 22, it's uh, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. You know, he could have ended the chapter, the verse 17, could have left it to them with an if then, if this, then that, if that, then this. He could have left it there, but he doesn't because he knows what the answer is going to be. He knows what they're going to choose because he knows what they've already chosen. So the language switches from the if to the since or to the when. This says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and wrath have been poured out, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, how was that? As, as. Into the degree, to the manner, in the, in the same way as. As my anger and wrath have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so my wrath will be poured out on you when, not if, when you enter Egypt. You will become a curse. You will become an object of horror. You will become an imprecation. You know what an imprecation is? That's a, it's a curse. That's a swear word, right? You hit your thumb with a neighbor and you, uh, you with, a, with a hammer. Hit your thumb with a hammer and you shout. Okay? Whatever you shout. You know, no one ever smashes their thumb and goes, oh, Pastor Bob Bollinger. Okay? Or maybe they do, in which case I need to... Uh, could be some ministry there. I don't know. Okay, but when your name becomes and think how sad it is, our Savior, His name is is now an imprecation. People are mad and they curse His name every time they shout it in anger. Well, their name is about to become an imprecation. Yohanan and this whole crowd. And uh, it's not an if; it's a when. Imprecation and a reproach. You will see this place no more. You know, that crowd that went to Babylon, guess what? They can come back in 70 years. You guys, you're not coming back. Your trip to Egypt was a one-way trip. You're dying there. And there is no remnant coming back from Egypt. So, uh, verse 19, The Lord has spoken to you, O remnant of Judah. Do not go into Egypt. You should clearly understand that today I have testified against you. You know, when, when Yahweh wants to be clear, Yahweh is clear, and He generally repeats something three or four or five different times. And here is as blunt as it can be. Right? Blunt as can be. It's like, you know, a parent or somebody you know, just shakes some sense into you and says, you know, don't marry that girl. 
<laughs> or whatever the case may be, right? Don't take that job. Don't move to that town. All right? And when it's coming right from the voice of Yahweh Elohim, you better listen. Right? As the case may be. So, um, the Lord has spoken to you, a remnant of Judah, do not go into Egypt. How much more blunt can you get? You should clearly understand that today I have testified against you. The sermon's getting recorded. It's going to be in the Bible. It's going to wind up being Jeremiah chapter 42. And uh, for thousands of years, for all eternity, you're going to get preached about for uh, your thick-headedness here, hardness of heart. For you've only, uh, verse 20, we've already read, you've only deceived yourselves. It is you who sent me to the Lord your God, saying, pray for us to the Lord our God. Whatever the Lord our God says, tell us also, we will do it. So I have told you today, but you have not obeyed the Lord your God, even in whatever he has sent me to tell you. Therefore, you should know, you should now clearly understand that you will die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence in the place where you wished to go reside. All right. And uh, he's not even allowed to close in prayer. You know, we'll come back next week and we'll see in verse one of chapter 43. As soon as Jeremiah finished telling all, you know, the words are barely out of his mouth. Didn't even have a chance to close in prayer or sing a closing hymn or turn off the recording, anything. All he's doing, as soon as Jeremiah, whom the Lord their God had sent, had finished telling all the people all the words of the Lord their God, that is, all these words, Azariah, son of Hoshiah, Yohanan, the son of Korea, all the arrogant men said to Jeremiah, You are telling a lie. <laughs> right? There's a good response to the sermon. You're lying. That's, the Bible doesn't say that. The Lord our God has not sent you to say you are not to enter the land of Egypt to reside there. Baruch, the son of Neriah, is inciting you against us. Okay? For whatever reason, I want to blame him. Well, we'll deal with that next week. You know, it's interesting. When the Bible switches like this from if to when, um, Moses did this also in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And I'm, I'm almost out of time, but the, you can you can look at that. Deuteronomy chapter 30, there is a when statement there. And, and Moses himself prophesies the, the captivity. He prophesies the global dispersion of Israel. He prophesies the second advent of Jesus Christ when a prophet like unto Moses will come and he will gather all the Jews from around the world. And uh, so it's interesting here. In Deuteronomy 30, he... Uh, He's, 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 this is Moses' final words, his, his last will and testament. He's getting ready to die. He's talking about the blessings. He's talking about the cursings. He, he reviews for the next generation then the if this, then that of Mosaic law. And then he goes to the inevitable when all this happens. Okay, And in Deuteronomy 30, it shall be when all of these things which have come upon you the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. Then, and what we have then is the promise then of global restoration. What is we understand today as the second advent of Jesus Christ when He restores the kingdom of Israel and presents before them the uh, the blessings that uh, Mosaic law only gives conditionally, but 
the new covenant will give them unconditionally. And all the blessings of the coming millennium and fullness of time and all the things that the Jewish people have to look forward to. So uh, pay attention to that. Deuteronomy 30 and other places in the scripture when God switches from the if to the when and tells you, hey, it's going to happen. So, you know, like when uh, Peter said, oh, far be it from thee, Lord, you know, I'll never deny you. They'll all abandon you. I'll never deny you. Not me, Lord. Right. There's there's old Peter, with the foot and mouth and the old uh, all would never do that. What does Jesus say? <laughs> he says, when you return again. Right. He says, uh, you know, before this night is over, a rooster will crow. You know, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then he goes on to say, when you return again, right? Strengthen your brethren. It's a beautiful promise. Well, we pay attention when he switches to the when, because God knows what's coming up and we need to be humble and accept his will in, uh, in all things. And, uh, that's what we have here. All right, so we'll come back next week and uh, deal with chapter 43 and uh, and take it from there. we got a super short one coming up. Did you notice chapter 45 yet? I'm kind of befuddled, and I'm actually banking on chapter 45. If, uh, if we get in trouble trying to wrap up the book of Jeremiah before my Ukraine trip, um, chapter 45 might bail us out because it's only five verses. It's a small chapter. And maybe I can cram it into chapter 44 or chapter 46 or steal a Sunday that way by, uh, by cheating. All right. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this time this morning. Father, we give you the praise and the glory for um, just everything in your truth. Uh, your word that comes alive, that that lives within us, that dwells richly within each one of us. Father, I pray that we will with humility receive this word implanted that's able to save our souls, that we would not replicate the, the liars and the deceivers and the, the uh, religious people. They were called arrogant men. We'll see you next week, Father. Arrogant men. And how dare they defy the living God by uh, presenting themselves as workmen and yet having their mind made up on the work they intend to do. So, Father, I pray that uh, we would be imitators of Christ who humbled himself, who emptied himself, who came and who uh, lived his life of humility. That's the life we're to live, Father, and I thank you for it. Thank you for all this doctrine, all these blessings. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.